Okay, we're going to read in John, the third chapter, John. John 3, verse 16 uh, to 21. For God so loved the world. Now, world here, again, is not the world system. It's every human being that's functioning in the world apart from Christ. That's what this is literally teaching us. So, for God so loved the world. See, this is different than when Jesus said in John 17 and verse 14, I am in the world, but not of it. And neither are we in John 17 and verse 16. Now, so, for God so loved the world, all those that were functioning apart from Christ, under the prince and power of the, the world system in John 12, 31 and John 14, 30. For God so loved the world that he gave. And this is always grace. This is always love, who God is in 1 John 4, 8 and 16. This is God only flowing towards those, all of us who don't deserve anything, has to go through grace. Has to that he gave his only begotten son. Now, when it says this, what we need to understand here this morning and what God would have us to understand is this, that God created Adam. He created him. But long before he ever created Adam, in Genesis 2, verse 7, he created him from the dust of the ground and then he breathed into him into his nostrils, the breath of life. And that's what Job is describing through the Holy Spirit in Job 32 and verse 8 and Job 33 and verse 4. So he created Adam. Now, it was to be created in God's image in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and in Genesis 5, 1 and 2. He was creating him in his image. But long before that, here is God the Son now, for us to understand these things, we have to completely submit to God. It has nothing to do with natural fallen understanding whatsoever. That's what makes it so vital for us to constantly submit our wills, something that God never took away. Even when Adam fell, he never took away the gift of free will because God gave it of himself. It wasn't determined on merit or self-determination. But long before that, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. For us to understand these things of God, we realize this, that the Bible makes it crystal clear in John the first chapter, verse 1, all the way, you follow it through, all the way to the 18th verse. And what we will see there is that God the Son was eternally begotten by God the Father. And that the Holy Spirit proceeds from both. Now, can we make sense of this other than just actually believing God and what he has said? And the answer is no. He's always been. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have, all, have always been. But yet the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The same substance. So long before... Adam was ever created. Did God know that he was going to fall? And obviously he did. So here is the Father and the Son, God the Son and the Holy Spirit that proceeds from both. 
and they have this plan, and it's the determinate counsel. Determinate counsel means the, the mind of God in eternity long before time was ever, or man was ever created. And so in Acts 2 and verse 23, it was the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Notice that. It's his foreknowledge that has to do with the eternal mind of God. That he allowed Jesus Christ, when he put on humanity, be take, to be taken by evil hands and, and crucified. So, but how then would mankind that is completely ruined and can't do anything of himself, then how would God manifest his love? For God so loved the world that he gave his only what? And the Greek brings it out, uniquely, one of a kind, eternally begotten Son. So here's the Son, eternally begotten, who puts on humanity in John 1 and verse 14. And then we, through receiving him, can now be eternally begotten of God through Jesus Christ the Son. And this is what this is teaching here in John 3 and verse 16. That whosoever would believe in him receive him, would not perish. Perish here simply means, okay, not to, not to, to live in non-existence or annihilationism because death always speaks of separation and never extinction. We know that because Ecclesiastes 3 verse 14 says that whatsoever God does from himself, who is eternity and eternal life, and inhabits it, and Isaiah 57 and verse 15, has made it clear that whatsoever God does, he does forever. But have what? And it's not everlasting life, okay? Everlasting life. Because here's the difference between being be eternally begotten and having the life of Christ, which is Zoe, Z-O-E, which is a life that had no beginning and will have no end. Everlasting life is, we had this beginning, and what was our beginning? We were born in sin. We were born in sin. Before Adam ever reproduced himself through E, at one point, and probably very quickly, he was innocent, and God prepared everything for him, and then he fell. He fell in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. From that point on, it was everlasting life. And what is everlasting life? You had a beginning, and our beginning was in spiritual death, but we will still have no end. That's everlasting life. That's the difference between everlasting life and eternal life. And the Greek word here is eternal life. Verse 17. Now, for God sent his Son into the world, not to what? Sent his, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Well, because the world, all those that live under Satan, live in self-condemnation. They're already condemned. They condemned it themselves. But that the world, the world is a Satan's satanic world, are all those that live under him. This is what it's teaching. That the world, all those that are living under Satan, through Christ might be delivered from that, saved, delivered. And this is why 
it's extremely important to understand these two teachings in the Bible. The doctrine of imputation, the teaching of imputation. And imputation simply means this. This is what it means. Is that at one point I was not born again. I lived under Satan, the God of this world, the prince of this world in John 12, 31 and 14, 30. The God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2 and verse 2. We all live that way prior to receiving Jesus Christ. Prior to that. So we all we're living that way. We, couldn't, we could not deliver ourselves. And that's why Christ had to come. You see, that's Moses, the type. He was in, in the type of the work that God would do through him as a vessel. He was known as the deliverer. You see, Israel was in bondage for 400 years. They couldn't do anything to get out. So God had to raise up a deliverer. And this is, these are the types in the scriptures as, as God teaches us. So that, and so that the world, all those that were self-condemned, living under Satan, through Christ might be delivered, you see. So this is the difference. Imputation is, is that I was born with a sin nature. Psalm 51 and verse 5, the babes, as soon as they come out of the womb, in Psalm 58, verse 3, they, they come out telling lies. Because who's the father of all lies in John 8, verse 44? So we see where that, which, which, which is not life, but where that existence came from. Prior to receiving Christ and being begotten of Jesus Christ to have that eternal life. To actually now truly be begotten of God. So, imputation is this, that the moment that I received Christ as my Savior, I recognized and believed the Scriptures because I was taught that first and foremost, God had to be propitiated, dealing with the sin question in John 1 and verse 29, so that the Son now could be that substitute in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, God the Father, made Jesus Christ the Son to be the sin sacrifice for us who knew no sin, never had a sin nature. That we might be made the righteousness of God in and through and by him. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 is teaching us. So imputation is the moment that I did recognize that he, he had to be the propitiation and that Christ would now be the substitute whereby my old nature in Romans 6, 1 through 6 could be crucified and all my sins dealt with. All of my sins to be dealt with. And this is brought out again. We see this very, very clearly in the teaching of, of 1 John 1, 1 through 10, right through uh, 1 John 2, 1 through 3. We see this crystal clear in this kind of teaching which is of God. So imputation is the moment that I recognized and, and believed, because I was taught this, and received it instantly, received Christ, then all my sins God reckoned eternally. Now here we are in time, but I'm agreeing with the eternal mind of God, God dealing with me in time where I fell, all my sins were imputed, and imputed means, is the Greek word logizomai, and it means all of those were put to Jesus Christ's account. 
The moment I received him, then all of his perfect righteousness was put to my account. See, that's imputation. Now, for this to be taught, that's salvation, that's positional truth. But now I need to experience growth in this. And growth takes time, takes patience, takes learning. And so, now, for my position to enter into my experience, this takes growth. It takes a constant separation. In Hebrews 4.12, the word of, of the Lord, the word of God, the word that Christ is, is living. It's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. And then it goes into the sacrifice, showing us that what Christ, who he was and his person and what he accomplished, you can cut it up and there wasn't a stain or a blemish in it. It was perfect. Christ was perfect. That's why his humanity was perfect, fulfilling the types in Exodus 12, 1 to 13, and in Numbers 19, 1 and 2. Just making it crystal clear in the Bible. You see, this is, this is propitiation. This is positional truth. But now it has to enter into the experience and our growth, you see. And our growth has to do with grace, but it has to do with God's love flowing through grace, you see. And this is why we grow in it in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. And it has nothing to do with the natural. No, the word comes in and separates the self-conscious living and brings in a proper experience. And this is called imputation. So what is ours positionally? Now, through preaching, and what is ours? Well, we receive Christ. Yes, we receive Christ. But now we need to know all that truth. How does that happen? has to be imputed to us and this is experience this is the difference between standing my standing and this is romans 5 1 and 2 we are standing positionally in christ we're standing but what is my state in my experience and you see that's the difference between state and standing my standing is perfect it's in christ what's my particular state my present condition my present experience and this is where the teaching of all of this comes in. We're his children. Galatians 3.26, we're all the children of God by faith, dependence in Christ Jesus. But now don't we need to grow? You have a baby. There's a process in the mother's womb of nine months where it's being formed. Then out it comes a new birth. But now it needs to grow in that new birth that it has. And that takes time, takes education from the parents. It takes tremendous patience for the parents with the child. And it teaches the parents that no longer is your life your own. <laughs> it's yours. You have a life, but it's to give to others, to the child. And this is the spiritual principles that God's teaching us. This is what John 3.16 is teaching us. Now, but have, in John 3.16, but have eternal life. Now, for God, in verse 17 of John 3, sent not his Son into the world, the evil world system, to condemn those that were functioning under it, humanity, but that the world, those that were functioning under it, with, with a free will choice, now that light has dawned, you see, life in terms of salvation, through him, and only him, because there's only one in Acts 4.12, 
because there's one mediator in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, there's one mediator between God and men. It is the man, Christ Jesus. And in Acts 4.12, there's no other name given under heaven whereby men might be saved other than the name, it's Christ Jesus, period. That's what it says. And that's what Job was experiencing in the midst of his trial. He, he was positioned in Christ, but he needed to be separated from the old. That's why he cried out in, jo in Job 9 and verse 33, I wish there was a daysman, an empire mediator, one to go between that could touch me and that could touch God, and that could only be Jesus Christ. Because to be able to touch God, you had to have perfect humanity. God and humanity, and that's Jesus Christ. And so that he that believes in him, right, and keeps on believing in him is not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already, you see. Self-condemned. Who, who, who condemned Lucifer? He condemned himself. In Ezekiel 28, verse 15. In Isaiah 14, 7 to 17. He did that himself. Iniquity. No longer submitting my will. And sin is simple. This is simple. This is the simplicity of sin. But boy, it gets very complex in our desires and our choices. You see, because sin is my will, not God's. Not you, God. No, not your will. My will. That's sin. Ezekiel 28, verse 15. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the person, the name, and the name here is the person of Christ and his work, of the only begotten Son of God. Now, so when you have this kind of teaching, and then, see, it's okay, salvation is okay, and the enemy wants to have you, okay, salvation is enough, now you can live in the world, just live the way you want. Unfortunately, like any of us can do, if we don't submit our wills to the light of the preaching and teaching of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live like that and live just like the unsaved world and do the same things that they do. Same thing. Go back, right back to the same things we used to do. And we'll hide them too, by the way. Because the whole life of Satan is one of deceit and hiding. And the enemy is very subtle in us. And that's why it takes such tremendous patience, the patience of God working in our experience what he already finished about us in our position in Christ to make our standing, which is standing has to do with our true character in 1 John 1, 7. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Okay, and that's teaching character. That's our true character. And is my conduct now equal to my true character? And if it's not, do you think I want to come? No. No, I don't want to come anymore. I don't. I know myself when I'm in the flesh. Do you think I want anything to do with God? The answer is no. And so the enemy can't stop salvation through grace in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Can't stop the salvation 
in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You are saved by grace, and that's through faith dependence at that time. And, and even that, not of yourself, but it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should glory. So we should glory. But then it says, we are his workmanship. You see, that's the thing the enemy doesn't want. He wants Christians to stop short of Christ himself being glorified, God being glorified, first and foremost. They want that stopped. The enemy wants it stopped. So salvation's enough. Let's just go and live in the world. And I'll use anything and everyone, anything I can to cover up the reality of what my, my choice, truthfully. Well, again, he that believes in John 3, verse 18, he that believes in him doesn't live in condemnation because there isn't any for us in Christ in Romans 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, period. But where does the condemnation in the believer begin to take place? It's in the flesh. It's in the flesh. Satan getting them to live in the flesh to stop short the work that Christ has accomplished for them to enter into their experience. And that's why there is a, a Bema seat. And again, that's not a judgment seat. That's a manifestation seat. And even there, he makes it clear in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15 and in 2 Corinthians 5.10 and in Romans 14.10-12 through 12, makes it crystal clear there what is burnt up that we functioned in, in the flesh is gone. It's gone and we're going to rejoice in that, not experience sorrow. The sorrow there in 2 Corinthians 5.11 is at the great white throne. There there is sorrow. There is sorrow. Now, there will be, I believe, a godly sorrow. A godly sorrow. But even that will be dealt with. There's going to be a godly sorrow at, at the, at the uh, Bema Seat. But it's not a sorrow that has regret. That's 2 Corinthians 7.10 with 1 Corinthians 3.13-15 and these other verses that, that uh, God has just given us. Verse 19. Now, again, I'm going to read 18, then we'll go again to 19. He that believes on him, Christ is not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already. That can be a believer in the flesh. Two choices. Because he has not believed in the name, hasn't continued. Because he's not believed in the nature and character and work of God, of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation. This is the con Does God condemn those that are in Christ? Romans 8.1 makes it crystal clear he does not. So where does this condemnation come from? And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world. Meaning this. That light is entering into areas of believers where they still want the world system in their life. They like certain things. They like certain sins. It's the truth of the matter. And that's what it states. That light has come into their world, their personal world. And men love darkness rather than the light because why? Their deeds were evil. I'm going to tell you why. Listen. For me, I don't want anything to do with God when I live in the flesh. Why? Because I'm living in deeds that are evil. And I don't want to come to the light because they'll be exposed. 
That's why people don't come. And don't let them convince you otherwise. Because it's just a lie. They don't come anymore. Any of us. This principle is true. This principle is true with all of us. They don't come because they don't want the light. Because the light discovers. You see that in Ephesians 5, 13 and 14. We'll go there in a, in a moment. Because men love darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Yeah, they're evil, but I still like them. Wow. For everyone in verse 20 that does evil, what? Listen to what it says. Hates the light. You know, I want you for salvation, Christ. I want you for salvation, God, but that's it. I want to live the way I want now. In this world system. For everyone that does evil hates the light. Neither comes to the light. Did we hear that? Neither come. Why don't people come to hear the word anymore? You can use every excuse under the sun. The Bible makes it crystal clear. You don't come. I don't come when I live in the flesh because my deeds are evil. I'm functioning in evil. It's the, it's the truth of the matter. They don't come to the light. Who is the light? It's Christ Jesus who exposes these things. Neither comes to the light, lest his deed should be, and reproved him means discovered. Lest his deed should be discovered. But he that does truth, in other words, allows truth to deal with him, comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that now they're wrought in God. They have to do with Christ working in him. And when I don't want him to work in me, and when I don't want him to separate the darkness from the light of who Christ is in me and who I am in him, I'm not going to come. It's that simple. And we can, listen, did Jesus do away with every excuse for sin? Did he? Well, John 15, 22 makes it clear. So how does this apply to us now? This is where it applies to us. Now we go to Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Is there? Is there any condemnation in the fact that when we received Christ, our old was crucified, Romans 6, 1 through 6. All our sins were dealt with completely done away with. Bible makes it crystal clear all through the teaching of the scriptures, not just in the Pauline epistles, as some would say. Psalm 103 and verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. Micah 7, 18 and 19 make it crystal clear, very clear that the sins are dealt with. Very, very much so. So, there is no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Is that position? Yes. The rest of that verse is not in any original manuscript. Cross it out. I cross it out in every Bible that I have. There isn't any in Christ. Period. God doesn't condemn us. Now, here's verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Do we think that's just the Ten Commandments? No, that's the flesh. 
that we can function in. Because when I function in the flesh, what's my experience? Is it the experience and right experience of who I am in Christ? No. Does it change the position? No. Does sin change the position? In 1 John 5, 18b, no. No, sin doesn't. But does it touch the experience and fellowship with Christ? Yes. That's why we don't come. That's why people don't come. Simple. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. What, what's that? What does that mean? What is Romans 7.12? What is it teaching us? Wherefore the law, the Ten Commandments, Exodus 23-17, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy, just, and good. Well, was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, what's that? Me functioning in sin. So the only other option I have is to try and do good, which I can't do, and make it appear that way, that I'm still good, even though I'm living in sin, and I'm hiding it and covering it up. It's so funny. You know, some of the worst things we commit, we wouldn't want another person to see them. What about God? <laughs> Psalm 90, verse 8. Check out Ezekiel, the 8th chapter, in those first 12 verses. Oh, God Almighty, help us. And follow it down through there in Ezekiel, the 8th chapter. Well, the truth of the matter is, the law of sin and death is now, when I don't function in Christ, when I refuse to submit to him, then I just live in the flesh and I live under the law, you know, and I don't want anyone telling me any different. No, they're self-condemned. They're not condemned by God. They're not. They're self-condemned. Who's condemning them? Who's the daddy of the flesh, though? Who's the daddy of the experience if it's not Christ? That's why they don't come. That's why they don't come to the light. Simple as that. This is true with any, for any of us. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, it's already set me free from the law of sin. That's position. Now look, verse 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. The flesh trying, and the Christian, with all this bad, stupid, wrong teaching, For the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son. See, this is John 3.16 now, right through what we just read. Right down through to 21. John 3.16.21. And that it was weak through the flesh. Was the law weak or the flesh? Ten commandments? No. Through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness. See, likeness is teaching that Christ never had a sin nature. Had a human nature. That's Hebrews 4, verse 15 in the original. And that's Luke 1 and verse 35. And that's fulfilling the types in Exodus 12, 1 to 13, and Numbers 19, 1 and 2. And some would say, well, I thought all, the, I thought all those sacrifices were male. They were. Well, why is it a red heifer, which is a female, in Numbers 19, 1 and 2? And I'll tell you why, because that speaks of submission. And God not only dealt with man and his sin, but women. And he not only dealt with us, he dealt with all of us. And that's a picture of Christ. 
not living on his own, but living and receiving the initiation of the Father in his humanity. That's all that. That's what that's teaching, by the way. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. The devil does and gets people in the flesh, even born again ones, and gets them all confused with pride of knowledge. And that's knowledge that puffs up apart from love in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3. For what the law in Romans 8, 3 could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, through, through humanity, the body, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And what? For a sin sacrifice condemn sin in the flesh. That's position. Okay, now, that the righteousness of the law, and far more than that, Christ in Romans 10, 4 is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe. That's not just the Ten Commandments, folks. That's everything about the flesh, even trying to live apart from him. He's already dealt with all of that stuff. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Listen, who, who, Who's this? Who walk not after the flesh? That's the believer in Christ. But after the Spirit. Oh, I don't want to come and be taught anymore. Now, you know, I can still live and hide in the flesh and be taught. <laughs> They're not the only ones. Did you ever hear that? They're not the only ones. They're not the only ones. Yeah, the word is different, isn't it? The mind of Christ, the Word of God, has two thoughts on one particular subject. No, that would be called confusion in 1 Corinthians 14.33. And God's not that author at all. By the way, when we live in the flesh, we don't, have, we don't experience the life and the peace that's ours. So we've got to do everything to try and escape that. Use every drug, every alcohol, every sexual thing. Those are the things that people go back to. Come on. Any of us. Then, ultimately, when you are living in them, and you don't want others to know, you'll hide and show up and smile. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh, is this talking to Christians right now? Yes. These are born again, these are people. Christians positioned in Christ, but their experience is not the equal of that, their position. For they that are after the flesh do what? Have Enter into the minding of the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit, those are the ones that keep coming and having things dealt with in their life constantly and continuously. Child training. You're going to ditch your child for two weeks and have no training? Are they present in your life constantly? Same with us. Now, for to be carnally minded, to be minding the things of the flesh, that's what the original says, is what? Death. Living separated from God. Why? Because I don't want the light. I like the darkness. I like my salvation, but I still like things in the flesh I don't want to be, I don't want them to be separated from me. Phew. For to be kindly minded is death, but to be spiritually, to mind the things of the spirit, to be spiritually minded is what? Who's our life? Christ. Who's our, who's our peace? 
Colossians 3, verse 4, Christ is our life. 1 John 5, 11, Christ is our life. Peace, he's our peace. Ephesians 2, verse 14, he's our peace. And so when the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ to the light of the scriptures to show us who we are, then he separates it without condemning us. Without condemning us. Now, when you come to the light, you're not being condemned. The light is separating you from that condemnation that you and I can live with and live in, in the flesh. But if I don't want that, you think I'm going to come? Because the carnal mind is what? Enmity, strong, unchanging thoughts and feelings of hatred. Do you remember what? They don't come to the light. Why? Because they hate the light. That's why you don't come. For any of us. Look at for any of us. Because the carnal mind is enmity, strong, subtle feelings of hatred toward God, for it is not subject to the law of God. What's the law of God? That's Romans 8, 2. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the enemy who causes me in the flesh to live in a life of sin and death, separated from God in my experience. You see, he can't touch our position, but he wants to get us to live separate. He wants to mock God. See, this is your creation, see? You saved them, but now look at them. But God sees us in Christ. He only never removes his eye from the righteous in Job 36 and verse 7. We're the apple of his eye because we're in his son. We are. Deuteronomy 32.10, Psalm 17.8, Zechariah 2.8. We're the apple of his eye. Never removes his eye from who he's made us to be in his son. He just has to get us to remove our eye. Because we won't see properly in darkness. We won't have a proper image. And boy, the enemy hates Christians living in a right image. He hates it. And this is what is teaching us. So then they is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. No wonder people want to end it. You think he you think the enemy wants to he wants to he wants to convince Christians so that Christ won't be glorified in their life on this earth and them to be blessed. He wants to get them to end their life in suicide. And by the way, suicide is is it's literally the height of pride. Because that's who the one who's the who is the master of pride got him to do it. I'm just going to tell you, that's where it's going to end. That's why we need to pray for people. Not condemn them. They're not our enemy, but to pray for them. And to, be, and to walk in the light with them. And not to settle for anything less with them. In ourselves, first and foremost. Because if I settle for it in myself, I have to allow them to settle it. If there's things I like in the flesh that I don't want dealt with. And that I live in deception and cover them up. I'm certainly not going to challenge others. Neither indeed can be in Romans 8, 7. So then they that are in the flesh, what? Cannot what? Please God. See, might as well end it.
Because that's the end of it. Right? There is a way that seems right unto man in Proverbs 14, 12 and Proverbs 16, 25. But the end of those ways are death. Separation from God. And an enemy can't separate us positionally. He can't, he's going to get us to separate, get us to be separated from him experientially. And he does this through all these lusts of the flesh in these areas where we just don't want to come. And the, and the sin's going to find us out. Oh, God. We need grace and truth to teach us so that it's not our own backslidings. And sometimes that's what it takes. God has to say, okay, you don't want to wait. You don't want to trust me. Go ahead. What was the end of that? What was the end of it? So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but, oh God, this is the Holy Spirit trying to tell all of us, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, and he dwells in you because you are born again, you are positioned in Christ, you see, so the source of the condemnation is not God. It's not the Word. It's not the light of the Word. No. It's the enemy that causes you to live condemned in the flesh. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And do you think the enemy wants to now the same God that saved us when we live in the flesh and all these fleshly lusts and sins and all these evil patterns? You think he wants to convince us finally that God truly is against us? But is he? Is he against Christ who made us brand new? Is he? No. No. Huh? He is none of us. He is none of his. He wants to convince us. See, you know, God's not really for you. These people really aren't for you. Oh, Lord, help us, right? And verse 10 of, of Romans 8, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead. Where all those lust patterns are. They're dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. You see how this is? This is what God is teaching us here. Okay? For every one of us. This principle is true for every single one of us. And that's why even when, even when those that are Christ, even those that we know and love, when they're living in sin, it, it's not, we're not to condemn them. We're to pray for them, but to challenge them in love. To challenge them. I mean, would you want your child to just be settled and live in sin? Would you want that? To live in disobedience? Wouldn't that affect your relationship with you? You wouldn't allow that, would you? Would you allow that with anyone else if you truly love them? And we wouldn't. Not condemn it. We're not the judge. No, we're not. Nobody. God's, God's the judge. He is. But he's going to show us that sin is judged already. But he will lo well, he'll do that through loving chastisement. That's, there's no question about it. So when we come to the light, will God lovingly chastise all of us? Well, of course he will. Where's child? Where's child? Where's little children in that sense? I don't care who we are. In what stage of growth? In 1 John 2, 4, 2, 12 to 14, babes, young men, and spiritual dads, none of us come to the end of that. Now, there is a process of learning 
in God's order in local assembly. And that's what 1 John 2, 14, 2, 12 to 14 is teaching us. But it's also teaching us, listen, and we'll close with this. At every stage of our growth, babes, young men, spiritual dads, in Ephesians 2 and verse 12 to 14, to love not the world in 2.15. Neither those things that are in the world that appeal to the flesh that get us away from a proper experience and a proper image. God being glorified. Not robbing God of his glory by us living in sin. Because Christ... God was glorified by his son and he gave him to us to be thus glorified with his new nature. And he didn't give us his son and give us grace in Romans 6, 1 and 15 to live in sin. Never. Never. So the next time someone comes and says to you, okay, that doesn't come to the light of where God has called them and they tell you they're all right, you know they're not. You can't tell me that when God calls people in a local assembly to come to where that light is going to expose all of us, including the, the one that he uses to deliver those messages. You cannot tell me when they don't come. Don't allow them to convince you that they're all right. You and I know ourselves. We're not all right when we live in sin, and neither are they. You can't tell me that someone's doing okay, and they can't tell me. They're doing okay by not coming to hear the word. We can't. They're not. But we love them and we're going to continue to pray for them. And we're going to continue to do it the right way in Galatians 6, 1 to 4. Not acting as their judge, but to pray for them, but to challenge them in love. And Father, we thank you for the purity of your word this morning. The purity, the fire of your word that comes, you know, the light comes in and it burns up all these, and the holiness just burns up these trashy areas where we, where we live in the flesh because it's not the equal of who God is glorified through Christ in us and not who we are in him. Thank you for your love, the purity of your word. And oh God, please uh, keep us close to you to continue to give ourselves to prayer so you can minister the word to us and then we can minister it in love to others. We can minister it in terms of fellowship, but we can minister to those that aren't living in it too, in love. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, well. I kept pressing that red button.